Hello there and welcome to Words, Wobbles and Wisdom. I'm Marie Miles here with you. So great to be back with you again. And we are going to focus on wisdom this week. So if you've been listening to the podcast from the beginning, I did share the theme of the podcast in general is dealing with the issue of weight and food, specifically for people who are struggling with that on a long term basis. Words was about some of my thinking and writing on the whole subject of my journey of weight loss. The wobbles are both the physical and the emotional wobbles that we struggle with as people who are carrying a lot of weight for a long time. The wisdom, as I shared back at the very first episode, the wisdom really is God's wisdom. It's how I have found encouragement and how I have found uplift from the Bible. So we've done a lot about words and wobbles over the first 10 or 11 weeks of the podcast. And I just thought I would concentrate on the wisdom this week, looking at some of the scriptures and some of the thoughts that I've had about them. Now, I do know that not everybody who listens to this podcast is a Christian, and that's absolutely fine. If this is an episode that you feel you want to skip, that's no problem. But this is a huge part of my journey. And as I said in the very first episode, I can't do this podcast without bringing God and his word into it. I'm not going to preach a sermon. I'm not going to be hitting you over the head with a hardback Bible. I'm just going to be sharing a few verses and my thoughts on them. So I'd love you to listen if you'd like to, but I understand if this is an episode that's not for you, that's no problem. I'll see you next week if that's the case. But I've spent a bit of time writing about this subject. It's been really uh, therapeutic for me. And this is where I look at what does God say? What does God say to the fat and faithful? (laughs) I didn't really think that God talked much about weight. If I ever thought that he doesn't have much to say about weight and eating, he does. He speaks into every area of our lives. And I have a few secret corners in my life that I'd rather nobody work on, let alone God. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that he doesn't speak about those things. So in the Gospel of Matthew, um, where are we? Chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this will be the familiar prayer, probably. Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus talks about prayer and teaches disciples how to pray. And gives them this prayer that has become part of our liturgy and part of our lives ever since. He goes on and talks about fasting, which would have been a common practice at the time. Not storing up treasures for yourself, but store up treasures in heaven. Not worrying. And there's a wobble, isn't it? Worry. And uh, in those verses, starting at 25, he says, I, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And I remember the first time I read those words, is not life more than food? Now, for somebody who is a food addict and who is obsessed by food, which I am, it was quite a shock to see that God had something to say about that. Is your life not more than food? (laughs) Well, actually, no, I don't think it is. But it turns out that I do worry. It's interesting, isn't it? Those two things are connected in those verses. But I do worry about food. So although I need to focus on it, I don't need to fret about it. The verse is in the context of want and need. It says, your father knows what you need. He also knows what you want, but the importance is to stick to what's needed. If I only ate what was needed, I wouldn't have a weight problem. And what is needed is always provided and will ultimately benefit us. So life is more than about food. Even if I don't live like that, that is the case. If we move on from that in later in later chapter of Matthew. Now, my husband is a pastor. He's a real hot one for not plucking verses out of context. 
which I suppose in a way I'm going to do a little bit of today. But to make sure that if you are going to use them, to remember the context that they come from. It says later on in Matthew 15, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now, what he's talking about is at that time there was clean and unclean food. There was food that was acceptable for the people to eat and there was food that wasn't acceptable. So the specific context about that verse is don't be worrying about whether the the food is clean or unclean. It's what you say that's more important. So it's not about what goes in, what we feed ourselves with. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's very honest. It's very real. It's it's very down to earth. You know, don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? You know, basic bodily functions we're talking about here. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. So for me, again, somebody who's obsessed with food to think, well, actually, I'm thinking too much about what I'm able to, to eat. And really, my concentration should be more of what is coming out? What are the things that I'm saying? Because what he's saying is the food goes in through the body and out the other end. But the stuff that comes out of our mouth, the words that we say, they come from the heart and they're far more important and far more worthy of our attention. Even though the context is of unclean food, I suppose really the bones of this verse are talking about worry more about what comes out, worry more about what's in your heart. What are your attitudes? What are your motives? And as they become purer and as they become better, then your behaviour stems from that. You know, the behaviour stems from the heart and hopefully my behaviour with regard to food would improve. And of course, it's not just what we say to others. I've shared this before, haven't I? I used to insult myself all the time. On the rare occasions that I'd look in the mirror, I would stare at the person in the reflection and say such horrible things to her that I can't even say them here. I didn't recognise her. I didn't like her. I didn't want to be her. It was just awful. And if I did something wrong, I would suddenly have this compulsion to just tell myself how awful I was. But as I've mentioned before, I'm banned from doing that now. I can say that I've done a stupid thing, but I cannot say that I'm stupid. That's the rule in our house. Another verse, and this is one of these lovely verses that just gives me such hope. There is no condemnation. So this verse comes from the letter to the Romans. And at the beginning of chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. So if there's a therefore in the Bible, then really we need to see what it's there for. So what does he say before that? In chapter 7, he talks about the fact that because of Jesus, they're no longer bound to the law, that they are bound to Christ. So he is measuring up the grace of God through Jesus as opposed to the law that they were subject to before. So he has explained all of that. And then he goes on and starts in chapter 8 and says, Therefore, in the light of that, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, (laughs) but after the spirit. So again, it's stop thinking about your body. Stop stop living by your body. The desires and the needs that come from the body live, live by the spirit. And it's such a beautiful verse for me. There is no condemnation because being a secret eater, it fuels the shame factor of it all. It, it, it is shameful to consume too much. You know, I've, there is this issue of gluttony that we shouldn't be stuffing our guts all the time. And though I may be hiding from the rest of the world, I'm not hiding from God because he sees everything. There's that beautiful Psalm, Psalm 139, reminds us that God always sees us in verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you know, if I go as far as I can across 
across the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God has witnessed it all. Every secret muffin, every double portion, every midnight Mars bar. And guess what? There is no condemnation. So gluttony is a sin, but God is in the business of forgiveness. I need every day, every mealtime if necessary, to bring my overeating to God, confess it, accept his forgiveness and move on. And I am so grateful for that forgiveness. Guilt can keep me away from God, keeps me away from prayer. It can keep me away from fellowship. When I was at my worst, it was awful. I just didn't want to be with people. And in fact, it's prayer and, and fellowship. They're the things we need, you know, to get ourselves back on the right path. There's a fantastic hymn and it says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross so I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Sin is not forgiven in part, it's not forgiven portion by portion, it is wholly forgiven. We need to repent with sincerity but it is forgiven when we do that. So if you are somebody of the Christian faith but you struggle with forgiveness, accept his grace. Go and read those verses in in Romans 8. Go and read those verses in Psalm 139 and that hymn, it is well with my soul. It's the information we need to remind us that we don't have to hide from God. So in Matthew nineteen twenty six, Jesus makes this amazing proclamation. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, that was a game changer for me when I started to look at that verse with regard to my weight. I didn't believe it would ever happen to me. I mean, I have written shopping lists with more faith than I've prayed prayers about my weight. I was in absolute despair. It just seemed impossible change to make. So I ignored it and let it get worse and worse. I've asked for miracles before and not got one. You know, when I was a newlywed, I thought I would go on to have children. And then I became ill and then I had to have a hysterectomy. And there was no children. I mean, I can tell you, I prayed for miracles. I fought with God. I begged him. I tried to bargain with him. <laughs> I did I did the lot. And in the end, his answer was no. And sometimes that is the answer. But at no stage did I think it wasn't possible. It's just it wasn't the path that he had for me. And even though still I find it hard at times, God has been gracious and given me a measure of contentment. I love my life. I have a wonderful husband. I have a fantastic family. And I've got nieces and nephews galore on both sides of the family. And I've got lots of children in my life, which is fantastic. But all things are possible. And I still believe that even though I didn't get the answer to my prayer, I didn't get my miracle then. It doesn't mean that I don't believe for my miracle now. I made a decision back in 2017 to believe something that I previously didn't believe. And that was that God would change my life, change my eating and deal with my weight And there's a lovely verse in Hebrews chapter one. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So there's kind of a decision to believe. There's a decision to believe. So I decided instead of believing I would always be 20 plus stone and carrying myself around and eventually end up very big, very old and be in big trouble, wouldn't I, medically, if I didn't deal with it. I changed my mind and I decided that I would believe that this was possible. Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So I decided I was going to live with that confidence and live with that assurance, even though it was only a hope and even though it was something I couldn't see. And sometimes you just have to decide, I am going to live like this is happening for me. I'm going to live like this is possible. Another verse that I absolutely love when it comes to this subject. 
The battle is the Lord's. So we're going back into the Old Testament now to Chronicles 20, one of my favourite stories in the Bible. I love this story. I'm in a war, okay, but I do not fight alone. One of my favourite battle stories is this story in 2 Chronicles 20, where the, the main character is this leader called Jehoshaphat. And he realises that there is a vast army against him. So he turns to God in prayer. So the first thing he does is he reminds God and really reminds himself of what God has done in the past. So he starts his prayer with, Lord, you've done this in the past, you've done this in the past. So he talks a little bit about the history of his people. And as you know, as well as kind of in one sense, reminding God what he has done in the past, he is also reminding himself of what God has done in the past. The second thing he does is, which I think is crucial. He has this like realistic appraisal. I've talked about this before, a realistic appraisal of the situation. He's not pretending the situation is not drastic. And in verse 12, he says, we have no power to face this vast army. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's such an amazing verse because lots of times in my life, I have not known what to do. Whether it's to do with weight, whether it's to do with the grief of not having children, whether it's to do with financial troubles or personal troubles or going through dreadful depression, which I have. I've been able to cling. This is one of the verses I've clung to. I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I have no power over my obsession with food. None whatsoever. Willpower, I think, is a myth. I don't know. I don't think it exists. I have to make decisions and own my decisions. And I made the wrong decisions or no decisions at all and then just ate whatever. And in desperation on a number of times, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. And in this story in 2 Chronicles 20, there is this amazing answer that comes from God. (laughs) In verse 17, God says, well, you don't have to fight this battle. Take your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Show up, suit up, look up. (laughs) Get your act together. I mean, I'm a total wimp. I'm always afraid of confrontation. I don't like arguing. I don't like shouting. If I'm asleep in bed and I can hear a row going out on the the street, I'm worried. I don't know why. I'm afraid that somehow that row will become part of my life. I can be a bit stroppy and I I can be a bit bolshy. I mean, I'd love to be like the lion in Narnia, but I'm more like the the lion in The Wizard of Oz, you know. Put him up. You know, and then somebody says something to me and I'm roaring crying. But anyway, so Jehoshaphat has poured out his heart to God. He gets my kind of answer. Love this answer. You don't have to fight the battle. So I'd be like, brilliant. So can I just go home then and I'll leave you to it and I'll pop back later. No, 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 no. So God says, don't be afraid. You don't have to fight the battle, but stand firm, hold your positions and see, you know, what God does. So how does that work practically for me? Because though the battle belongs to the Lord, we can't sit back and not do anything. We have to turn up, but we have to look up. I have to look up at him. So it's practical stuff, isn't it? Getting a shopping list ready, thinking about meals for the week, sorting out the fridge, buying a good pair of walking shoes, making those proper meals, going out the door for a stroll, even in this horrible weather, and just keeping our eyes on him. Suit up, turn up, look up. That's the thing that comes to me. But here is my favourite bit of the story. When they're going out to war, the musicians are sent up the front. 
Now, if I was in the army, I'd be delighted to be in the army band. I've always wanted to play one of those xylophones that you carry on a strap around your neck. Ding, 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 ding. But I wouldn't expect to go into battle. No, I want all the musicians up the front. So Jehoshaphat appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him to go before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Jehoshaphat was so confident of the Lord's favour, he didn't send the guys with the swords and the spears up the front. He sent the singers up the front. He sent praise to the front of the army. And it was the sounds of the praise of God's people that set God's plan into action and gave them victory in that particular war. The power of praise. Another time in which the power of praise actually breaks chains. In Acts 15, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So we've got this Old Testament story of this war where the singers put in front of the army and then years later Paul and Silas in prison, they sing and pray from their prison cell and the chains are broken and the doors are opened. Praise moves the very earth that we stand on. So I'm not going into this battle with fear and trembling. I'm going to strap on my xylophone, get out my tambourine, find a song to sing and head into the fight, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. I did promise I didn't do I wouldn't do a Bible study, didn't I? And then I did a Bible study. But these are verses that really mean a lot to me. They are verses that have brought me comfort and they are verses that have shown me the character of God and how he deals with me through this journey that I'm on. I hope that even if you're not a believer in God and even if you're not interested in Christianity, I hope some of it was of some value to you. I really do. So just to round up, we are going to finish with Frankie. What is that about? Yes, what is that about? Well, today's what is that about is people who say they're not going to do a Bible study and then they do one. No, I'm only messing. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, today's what is that about going to a restaurant or a cafe where they bring your drink 10 minutes before they bring your food. I don't want my drink to come to my food because, for instance, today I ordered green tea. So they bring the cup and they bring a teapot with a green tea bag in. Now a green tea bag only needs to be in for a couple of minutes. So I take the green tea bag out and I think, right, when my food comes, I'll put the green tea bag back in. And I wait and I wait and I wait. And my food takes, you know, seven to ten minutes, which is not unacceptable. But by then, my pot of boiling water is not boiling water anymore. It is hot-ish water. So I put my tea bag back in. And my green tea is not hot enough. Or sometimes they bring the drink and it'll be like loose leaf tea. So you can't take it out. So not only is your drink cold by the time they arrive with the food, it's too strong. So restaurants, cafes, please, I want my drink with my food. I want my piping hot tea with my sandwich or my piping hot coffee with whatever I'm going to eat. I do not want the tea and then 10 minutes later the food. That's my bugbear this week. 
So that's me, done. What is that about? Ticked off the list for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more information about me or other episodes of the podcast or my writing, or if you want to buy me a coffee, which thank you to those of you who've done that, everything you need is at annemariemiles.co.uk. Please get in touch if you'd like to. And I'm Ammo Writing on social media. Lovely to have you listening and I will see you or you will hear me next week. Take care. Bye bye.